Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast, and join me there every single Tuesday for Training Tip Tuesday, where I give you guys brand new training advice, training tips every single week. Now, the visual thing is more your thing. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel at Speak a Dogcast. And if you want to support the show even further, become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If you guys love what you're hearing, if you love the show, my Spotify users, my Apple Podcast listeners, do me a favor, scroll on down, give me that five-star rating or leave me a review. I would really, really appreciate it, guys. Now, on today's show, Destructive Dogs. Do you have a destructive dog at home? Are they ripping up your furniture, your home? We're going to talk about how you can go about solving that. Then comes what your dog says about you. What does your dog say about you? I, I heard them talking. No, I'm kidding. That's <laughs> not what I'm talking about. We're talking about like a reflection, a mirror. Oftentimes we discover and we hear that dogs can be a reflection of ourselves. So we're going to get into that. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or message me on social media. Your question could get featured on the show. Now, before we get going with the show, got to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, What is the closest living relative to the T-Rex? Yes, what is the closest living relative to the Tyrannosaurus Rex? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, Destructive Dogs. Yes, whether you have a dog who's just overly destructive with toys or maybe more severe right then maybe they're ripping up the house baseboards blinds shutters pillows furniture uh, sometimes the bottom of their crate sometimes they'll go at the crate and unfortunately even harm themselves with biting at the metal and it's not a good thing right it goes without saying that destructive dogs it's not a healthy thing while yes some level of chewing for a dog is normal destruction like to that level is is not okay and is not normal and when we talk about dogs that have destructive issues, you know, what what we really are facing majority of the time is we have a dog that has separation anxiety. Person leaves, dog starts destroying the house, right? You've heard of that, I'm sure. Many of you are experiencing that. And that's the reality of what's going on. We have separation anxiety. And there is this disconnect and misunderstanding, unfortunately, with human beings where people go, oh, my dog misses me. My dog loves me so much they can't wait for me to get home and... And I hate to burst your bubble, guys, but that's not what's happening here. And for that matter, if your dog had that deep level of emotions and understanding, don't you think they'd have the understanding to know, oh, they're going to come back, so I don't need to freak out about this? The problem is with animals and dogs especially, we approach it with our heart and not our brain. (laughs) There's an emotional response, an emotional reaction to what's happening, or maybe what we want to have happen. I want my dog to need me. I want my dog to miss me. And then unfortunately your view gets skewed on what's really happening. And so we put all these human emotions and we anthropomorphize them. And in reality, we're not seeing what's really going on here. Okay. And so that leads me to the point. There's really two main underlying causes when it comes to destructive dogs. The first thing is a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding, a lack of what a dog is, what their needs are, how to fulfill those needs. 
right? Because it's not all he misses me. No, there's something else going on there. So that lack of knowledge and lack of understanding of what your dog is and what they need is a lot of the reason we get destructive behaviors with dogs. The second thing, it kind of ties into the first thing, but it's a very, it's, it's very simplistic. It's exercise or lack thereof. Most people, guys, I, look, brutal honesty, brutal honesty. I would go out on a limb as a professional and say that 85% of people in the United States, pet owners, do not exercise their pets enough. I Like 85%, are you hearing me? I would go out on a limb and say 85% of United States pet owners do not exercise their dogs enough. And the proof is in the pudding. Go ask your veterinarian. Go ask it. What is the most preventative uh, health issue that we have with American pets? It's obesity, guys. It's the number one preventative health issue that American pets have. So if obesity is the number one issue we're having, lack of exercise might just be part of that cause. Yes, giving them a thousand treats a day is not going to help. Um, but lack of exercise. Is that to say your destructive dog is overweight? Not necessarily, but you still not might not be exercising your dog enough. And I can guarantee you probably aren't. You most likely are not exercising your dog enough. Because why? Well, this goes back to the understanding. See, we're going to bounce back and forth between exercise and understanding what a dog is. So why? Because dogs are domesticated wolves. They are domesticated wolves. They're meant to exercise a lot mentally and physically throughout the day. And most people in this country 100% do not. Most people 100% do not. Yeah, there you go. Um, (laughs) Great number. Great math, David. Uh, (laughs) That's funny. So... You know, look, it, 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 let's talk about, let's talk about the first part of this. Let's talk about the knowledge and understanding. Let's talk about a domesticated wolf. Now look, you'll read on social media, you're here on, here on social media, other trainers, other professionals, they'll come out and go, dogs are not wolves. You can't treat them or view them like wolves. And to some degree, I will, to some level, I will agree with them. Because it's not a wolf. You're right. This this thing back here, this, they're not wolves. But they came from wolves. I'm not an ape, but I came from one. Do I have ape tendencies? Do you and I have fulfillments that are instinctual, that come from our genetic makeup of what we were thousands and thousands and thousands of years? You bet your butt. And to sit here and try to deny that, pure ignorance and stupidity, guys. You have needs. You have personal needs, professional needs, sexual needs, We have instinctual needs that need to be fulfilled. And it is no different with your dog. Why? Because they're an animal, okay? (laughs) And what kind of animal are they? They are a domesticated wolf. And so when I hear these so-called professionals go, you can't view a dog like a wolf, I go, how in the world, what are you going to view them as? uh, Are you going to look at him as a bat, a humpback whale? What are you going to view a dog as if not a domesticated wolf? That's just the silliest thing I have ever heard in my life. They're not wolves. Well, you're... Thanks, genius. Yes, you're correct. They're not a wolf, but they came from wolves. Their DNA is wolf. Their brains are wired as a canine. Where do you think that came from? Just magically appeared one day? No! (laughs) My God. And so when, when we talk about seeing this crap on the internet where people go, stop treating your dog like a wolf, and we wonder why dogs are getting worse and worse and worse behaved by the day... It's because we're not treating them like what they are, which is a beautiful, amazing, wonderful, domesticated wolf. Do you know how many dogs I have in this room with me right now, guys? Anybody? Because you can't see them. Anybody want to guess how many dogs? Because you probably wouldn't know it. There's five dogs in this room right now. Five. 
Right? One, two. Yep, I can count five. <laughs> five dogs in here and you wouldn't know it. Why? Because I treat them like domesticated wolves. They're fulfilled. They're happy. They're tired. It's, you know, we exercise. We socialize. We have boundaries, rules, discipline, and affection. And I have a happy, quiet pack of five dogs behind me in a room recording with a very sensitive microphone and you guys would never know it. <sighs> Rant over. Social media lately, guys. I'm I'm not going to lie. We're going to be doing a segment on dogs and animals and social media soon because, wow, it is just out of control, the crap I'm seeing on there. And we, we need to talk a little more about that. So we will. Um, not today, but we will. <laughs> so, look, getting back to it, you can't deny what a dog is at their core. You just, you can't. I mean, you, you can feel free to, but it's not going to work very well for you because you're denying what they are at their core. And to me, that's just silly silly so getting rid of destruction in a dog starts with understanding what a dog is and then what their needs are and then fulfilling those needs which takes us to our second part which is exercise now i'm not getting into the intricacies of a proper walk today if you're not properly walking your dog if you don't know if you're properly walking your dog Definitely go back, scan through the uh, podcast, check out some great segments on the walks. I have done so many segments on the walks, proper leash work, very important stuff to get yourself going with a proper walk because there is a right and a wrong way to do the walk. And I promise you guys, if you start doing the walk the right way, you'll see a huge difference in your dogs. Walks are 85% mental, 15% physical. That's that instinctual needs, that, that fulfillment, that wolf. David, they're not wolves. Well, then why do my pack walks work so damn well? Why are so many professionals out there advocating for walking your dogs in a pack? A pack? Why would we advocate for this if it didn't work and it wasn't true? But the internet told me, you know what? Let the internet train your dog and have fun. I know this is the internet, but you know, personalities versus professionals, guys. Look, I, again, one more quick gripe. I see these dog trainers who are dressed really cool and have a suave hat or a cool looking thing in their picture. They're, they're sitting like this or something or they're looking off into the distance and it's like, dude, if that's what you're looking for, you aren't going to find that here. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm going to be me. I'm going to do my thing. It's what's brought me success. It's what's brought, more importantly, other dog owners and their dog success over the years. I, I can't stand this social media stuff where people put on this flair and this influencer hat and it's like, I want a trainer who's not an influencer. I want a trainer who who trains. I call me old fashioned. Um, I am. I know. I'm 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 from a different generation somehow. I don't know how I'm from the generation I am, but it is what it is. Can't control when you're born. <laughs> so hey, there's a dog shadow behind me on the yeah, uh, those of you YouTube, check out my YouTube channel, guys. We're getting up to date on all these episodes. Uh, like I said, another quick side note, and then I'll get back on it. I know I'm getting a little sidetracked. Uh, we had been having a lot of computer issues. I just got a brand new computer, so things are moving along now. I'm able to do a lot more graphic processing and get this YouTube channel under better control. We're having a lot of problems with the computer and internet. Anyway, all is solved, all is well. Be sure you go subscribe to my YouTube channel. Check it out over there at Speak of Dogcast as well. Click the like button. Click that thumbs up if you like what you're seeing. And another side note, if you like the podcast, guys, Spotify, Apple Podcast users, scroll on down. Give me that five-star rating. I would appreciate it, guys. Okay, so exercise, proper walks. We talked about that. Go check it out. Learn how to do it. Beyond that, exercising doesn't have to just be walks. It can be playtime. Absolutely, 100%. It can be throwing a tennis ball. It can be socializing with their friends. It can be dog parks, doggy day camps, going to the beach, going for an adventure, hiking down a trail. All different ways we can give our dogs fun exercise. However, 
The walk is going to be the most vital and most important, and it's important that you do that right, that correctly, and then everything else kind of follows. Think of the walk as math and science class. Think of playtime as recess. We need both, but which is more important? You know, we got to get that mental side going. All right. With that said, I also find that most people, and again, this goes back to the first thing. It really does. Most people that have destructive dogs tend to not be the leader of their dog tend to not set boundaries with their dog. They tend to not have rules with their dog. It tends to be all affection, 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 affection. And what ends up happening is they end up creating an imbalance in their relationship with their dog. Guys, you are 100%. You're supposed to be the leader of your dog. You are supposed to be. Your dog is not supposed to lead you. And this is a very basic instinctual thing. The pack is not allowed to walk away from the leader. It's the, it's the leader's job to keep the pack intact, right? Like, But the leader is allowed to walk away from the pack. So when you walk away from your dog and they get anxious and destructive, your dog thinks they're in charge of you. And so I see this a lot where I walk into a home with a destructive dog and it goes hand in hand where the owner provides zero boundaries, zero discipline, zero rules, and it's all affection. And we have an imbalance in the relationship with the dog thinks they own the human. Big problem, guys. Big problem. It's not natural. It's not normal. And they can't come up to our level. They can't lead human beings. It doesn't work that way. And that's why we get behavioral issues. That's why we get destructive issues. So I see it a lot where the owners just in general do not provide a leadership position to their dog. Then they don't exercise their dog. And we are just setting the dog up for disaster. Look, you know, going back to the 85% of households that don't exercise their dogs enough, guys, if your dog is destructive, I'm going to present a challenge to you. I'm presenting you with a one-month challenge. If you already exercise your dog, I want you to double. Double. You're hearing me right. I want you to double the amount of exercise you're giving your dog for one solid month. Four solid weeks. Give four solid weeks of doubling the exercise. I'm talking every day. You heard me right, guys, every day. And then if you do not exercise your dog, you need to think about triple and possibly even quadrupling the amount of exercise you're doing because if you're doing a big old, you know, big old egg, <laughs> then you got to get started and you got to get on it and you've got even more work to do. All right. So I present to you that challenge. Increase the amount of exercise you're doing with your dog. And if you really want to take on a double challenge, start providing rules, boundaries and discipline. Guys, you can check out the podcast, all kinds of great segments on how to provide discipline rules for your dogs, how to do the walk properly, how to solve separation anxiety. We go more into it, dive even further into it. Uh, check out all my past segments on the podcast. All right. So remember, guys, destruction, destructive dogs, it starts with having an understanding of what a dog is. If we don't understand what they are at their core, how to provide for them, how to give them fulfillment, how are we going to know how to solve these issues? And then, of course, the second thing ties in exercise, 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 exercise. It can help solve so many problems, so many behavioral issues, especially a destructive dog. Usually a destructive dog is either a bored dog or a dog out of balance in their relationship. And so a lot of times that exercise can help alleviate a lot of those symptoms and help make it more manageable to get your relationship back on track. So remember, guys, destructive dogs, exercise them, understand what they are, give them the fulfillment they need and deserve and you'll be able to leave your dog at home and keep your house intact in no time. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. 
Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, what your dog says about you. Look, guys, if you really want to take a good, close, well, interior look of yourself, <laughs> take a look at your dog. Dogs tend to be a very good mirror, a very good reflection of what you give off and how you are. I mean, you kind of think about it, right? You maybe know somebody who's very tightly wound, and their dog is too. <laughs> maybe the opposite. We know somebody else who's really loose and just kind of free-spirited, if you will, and there's no boundaries, no rules, and their dog reflects that too, to point of annoyance. Or maybe you know somebody who's really anxious, has a lot of anxiety issues, and does the dog tend to reflect that as well? Sometimes it turns into the dog having aggressive tendencies, possessive tendencies, or maybe the dog's just anxious too. Oh, that is sort of anxiety, right? So when we think about it, dogs are really a wonderful way to reflect upon ourselves and maybe see either, hey, I like what I see, or maybe not so much. It really is amazing what we've created, you know? And what I mean is like dogs, <laughs> what we've created because they've done really fascinating, interesting studies with dogs and that a dog, you know, a domesticated dog, right? It is, it's a domesticated animal. We domesticated them from wolves. And when we talk about domesticating animals, they tend to lose some of their natural instinctual traits. Not all of them, but some of them, right? Uh, they'll never lose all of them, you know? And, 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 we breed certain things out in doing this process and certain, like I said, certain things will never disappear as you, any of my regular listeners know, as I talk about all the time. Uh, but when we talk about a dog today versus a dog many thousands of years ago, there's some very, very big differences. And one of the biggest differences that always sticks out is a dog's inherent need and want to work with human beings, to look to human beings for help, for guidance, for leadership, and what we have discovered through these uh, studies, these case studies, is that wolves, and for that matter, any non-domesticated animal, and let's not say your chicken's going to look at you for, for help or something like that. It's not, not quite what I'm getting at. Um, but when we domesticate something like a dog, and we've done it so specifically, so strategically, and with something that has the intelligence of a wolf versus like, you know, a bird, uh, chickens don't exactly have giant brains, guys, let's be real. Um, when we talk about domesticating a dog with, or excuse me, domesticating an animal with that level of intelligence and the abilities that they have, what we've ended up seeing is that, again, something like a wild wolf is not going to look to a human being for guidance, is not going to look to a human being for help. And a fascinating study uh, showed this. They, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but basically they put a wolf and a dog in a room and give them a situation where they need help. 
There's a human being standing in the corner. After 30 seconds, the dog looks at the human being for help. The wolf will not. They'll go 30 minutes to an hour at this task trying to do it without looking for help from the human being. So it's fascinating that this is a trait we've literally bred into dogs. And we could even go further and argue our evolutionary process, our success as animals is due in part to our domestication of dogs. They helped us hunt. They've kept us safe, right? Think of all the different jobs we've given all these different breeds over hundreds and now thousands of years. And so dogs really have this unique and it is, it's unique to dogs. Cats don't do this. Right? Part of that is we haven't been domesticating cats nearly as long as dogs. Give it a couple more thousand years and let's see what happens. Um, I still don't know that you'll have the same, because again, feline, canine, it's just they're not the same. So you're not going to have that same thing, right? We look like a ragdoll cat, for example. That's been a, a very domesticated breed of cat that tends to be more affectionate, more uh, social, more dog-like, if you will. And the reason why is it's been heavily domesticated, heavily selective bred, selectively bred, and it's no different with dogs. So again, we have this unique trait to the domesticated dog that they naturally want to help us, listen to us, be with us, socialize with us, sleep with us. It, it did happen to be sleep with us as there's literally a snore in the background. That was so perfect timing. I don't know if you could hear that. <laughs> that was just good timing there. Um, you know, the, the, the part of it is, is that dogs and humans have a lot of similar traits. And that's probably why naturally we crossed paths the way we did and have, you know, flourished since. We're pack animals to some degree, not, not in the same sense that they are, but we are pack animals, they're pack animals. They have social structures and hierarchies, we have social structures and hierarchies. Um, we are predators, they're predators. We hunt, they hunt. All of these similar traits that ended up being you know, a mutually beneficial relationship, really cool stuff. Like This is why, to me, working with dogs is like, don't get me wrong, working with a tiger is really cool. Working with apes, amazing. Like what an incredible experience. Primates, monkeys, uh, bird. Like I love working with exotic animals as well. Don't get me wrong. I loved all my time working with exotics. What an incredible experience. But, but as cool of the relationships that I built with a lot of those animals, and one of them was, uh, one of them in particular, like let's, let's talk about this for a moment. Um, one relationship that always is going to hold a little special place in my heart of an exotic animal was this hawk. Um, and she's called that she was called a species was an African auger buzzard in Africa. They call hawks buzzards in the States. We don't refer to them that way. Buzzard is more of something you would consider like a vulture. Vultures are buzzards in the U S uh, but in Africa, buzzards are hawks. So an African auger buzzard, beautiful bird. I mean, just a spectacular, gorgeous little hawk. And look, I formed a relationship with this bird that was so cool, so unique, so neat. Uh, we were very close. Like she would chirp when I'd come in when she'd see me. I'd get her up on my glove and I could literally like love up on her and cuddle on her, snuggle on her. Um, she never bit me. She was just sweet as can be. She'd nibble on me, little nibbles, but no bites. But that's it. That's the extent of the relationship. You know what I mean? We're close. She trusts me. It's amazing. It's 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 it, it has a depth to it, but it's a depth that I can have with a wild bird of prey. It's not going to be the same that I have with my dog, because at the end of the day, that hawk relies on movement and 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 predatory instincts if like you can train them to ignore certain things but you know what i mean like if if a really enticing mouse or a bunny rabbit ran across and she was on my glove even with a lot of training 
there's not a hundred percent guarantee I'm going to keep that bird there every time, or even ninety percent of the time. It might try to bait off the glove and go after it because why? Instinct went <gasps> movement go. Dogs are the same way, right? Some of you at home are going, "Oh, dude, my dog is pff, he sees a bunny and gone." The difference is we can train that out of a dog for the most most of the time. Now it depends, greyhounds, things like that. Different story, different day. But on the whole, and even then, you'd be surprised what you can do uh, with training, with proper training and proper timing. But the point being, I can train the dog to not go, to, to ignore its instinct. Human beings, right? Think about it. We're the same way. Human beings can learn. We've, we're getting there. We're still not the best at it all the time. Hence why some people go straight to fighting and fist fights and emotional responses as opposed to a logical response. Because why? We're animals. Yes, we are. We're a domesticated ape, whether you like it or not. And that fight and flight, fight and flight response, that emotional overpowers. But human beings, dogs, domesticated animals, we can get past some of this stuff. We can. Takes a long time, takes training, takes effort. But I can teach my dog to not bolt after that bunny rabbit. Can't I? But I can't ever necessarily train my hawk to stop bolting after that rabbit. Domesticated versus non-domesticated. Thousands, like literally 35, 40,000 years I mean, really, like, think about that, guys. 35 to 40,000 years. Like, true civilization, according to history as we know it, has only existed for 12 to 15,000 years. I think that's not true, but that's a different story for Dewell. And we know it's not true. We're discovering more and more in archaeology every day uh, that's been arguing the first settlements have now, were <laughs> first civilized, you know, hunter-gatherer, uh, uh, um, farming techniques, that kind of stuff. We used to think it was only twelve to 15,000 at absolute most, and now we're seeing twelve to 30,000 years. So who's to say? But the point still remains, 45, excuse me, 35, 40,000 years is a very long time. A very long time to domesticate a, a dog. I mean, it is the largest eugenics project that has ever been conducted on the planet, period. It is. We've never bred and bred and domesticated and bred and mixed and, 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 and traits and selected and any other animal on this planet, there's no other animal that has been selectively bred so precisely and so much as a dog. So the thing is, their evolution was alongside ours, was hand in hand. And so when we talk about what does your dog say about you, like, whoa, let's come back to it. <laughs> I truly believe there is this inherent genetic uh, immeasurable thing to some degree. And I do believe in immeasurable things to some degree, to some degree. I only think it's immeasurable because we don't know how to measure it too. Like there's the other side. I don't believe in this magical blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's perception. If I told somebody 5,000 years ago, I had a heart and a circulatory system and blood and, you know, veins and all this thing pumping through in a brain and they would think I'm nuts and I probably would have been killed, you know, like probably would have been thought of as a crazy person or a witch. Uh, well, there weren't really witches 5,000 years ago. They had own. Okay. So you get the point. It's perception. And so I do think there is this thing we have created this this intangible tangible thing that we've created with dogs and humans where they are a reflection of us. They are a part of us. That's why we view dogs such as a part of our family because it is this connection, this evolutionary biological connection we have to them. Can't fully explain it. Can't fully put a number on it. Ooh, knock my desk and there we go. Uh, but you, you, you see it. You see it. You know it. You feel it. It is there. And if it wasn't there, they wouldn't reflect us 
upon us so well. They wouldn't be such a great direct reflection. How many of you have seen the pictures of, you know, we look, we look like our dogs, right? Like you get that. I think there's truly a reason for that because we seek it out, right? There's this little connection that we make with dogs. That's what makes them so fantastic and so amazing is the ability to have our dog say something about us. It's kind of cool in a way, right? So we can also take that a step further though. And again, let's go back to the beginning and we can use that as a growing stepping block. That's how I see dogs. Dogs, honestly guys, dog, dog training, it sounds corny, cliche, whatever, changed my life. It changed my life. It taught me the meaning of the word patience, first of all. Um, taught me patience like you wouldn't believe in animal training in general, right? Like not just dog training, the wide variety of species I got to work with and have worked with over the years. It, it, it's humbling, it's amazing, and it teaches you we're such a small piece of the puzzle in the grand scheme of things, right? Um, so I feel like it can humble you, it can make you step back and reflect. And so think about that with your own dog at home. Think about what your dog says about you. Think about how you can make a change for the better by letting your dog speak to you, but not speak to you, <laughs> right? That unspoken language, that unspoken bond that we have with them. So think about what your dog says about you and think about all the good ways that you can go about improving it. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the closest living relative to the T-Rex? It's chickens and ostriches. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about Washington State University. Founded in 1890, Washington State is one of the oldest land-grant universities in the American West. And their mascot is the Cougar. But not just any Cougar. No, it's Butch T. Cougar. Yes, Butch T. Cougar. Now, at first, the school uh, mounted two stuffed Cougars on campus that would join the teams on game day. But in 1927, that all changed when these two stuffed Cougars were removed and replaced with the real thing. Yes, a real live Cougar. Now, then-Governor Roland Hartley, he gifted the Cougar to the school and he suggested that it be named after then quarterback Herbert Butch Meeker. Now, although Meeker was only five feet, five inches tall, he was known as a very intense player. Uh, the school's yearbook even described him as the fightingest little football player ever to don a Cougar uniform. Now, Meeker was not only a star in college, but he also played two years in the NFL for the now defunct Providence Steamrollers in 1930 and 1931. Now, from 1938 to 1978, the school had a live mascot starting with Butch the First, all the way through Butch the Sixth. Butch had a specially made area near the end of the stadium called Butch's Den. Yeah, that's where he lived, and he was taken care of by a group of dedicated students called the Butchmen. There's now an anthropomorphic version of Butch, of course. Yes, and he attends all the games, but the school never forgot their past. In 2008, an alumnus named Gary Schneidmiller, he gifted the school with a large bronze statue of a cougar. Now, he said that he imagined the gift would help to pay tribute to the school's past, the school's present, and endure the future. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from John from Gatlinburg, Tennessee. John says, my dog gets the spins when somebody comes to the door. He hears the doorbell, he runs over, he starts spinning and barking, 
and he won't stop until the person comes in, says hi, and then after about five minutes, he'll relax. Now, it's the only time he spins like this. It's cute, but he might knock somebody over in his overexcitement. What should I do? John, thank you for the question. That's a great question. Uh, look, I'll be honest. The first thing I want to say is, <laughs> look, it might appear cute, but it's not, okay? Like a spinning behavior like that is overexcitement and obsessive. And in my experience and all my knowledge and all my training, any obsessive behavior with a dog is never a good thing, okay? Look, I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and probably say that your dog gets overexcited at other times. It may not go into the full spin, but your dog probably gets too overexcited for a lot of aspects of its life. And look, I want dogs to be happy. I want dogs to be excited. But guys, there's a line. There is a line between excitement and overexcitement, and we don't need our dogs being overexcited all the time. Now, Look, maybe it is just the door. Maybe it is the doorbell because a lot of times a conditioned response like that to a trigger such as a doorbell, to have that stimulus hit and just zero to 60, we know somebody's come, it really can amp them up is the point. Um, but look, honestly, John, the easiest way to do this is you've got to set your dog up to fail, <laughs> right? We have to set your dog up to go into the spins in order to stop the spins. We can't tell your dog to stop spinning or, hey, don't spin when someone comes to the door. So we actually have to bring the spins out in order to get them to stop. Um, one of my suggestions would be check out my front door exercise episode because I think that's going to help you a lot. There's a lot of uh, segments on the front door, uh, how to do the front door, front door 2.0, knock, knock, who's at your door, it's your barking dog. Uh, that's another name of another of another podcast episode. But yeah, go peruse, go scan, find the front door episodes because they're fantastic and it's what's going to help solve your problem here. Uh, really, we need to break this down. Like we really need to break this down. We need to slow everything down. We need to set your dog up to be able to bring the trigger out. Like this is kind of a long response. So look, the first thing I would recommend is start teaching your dog a spot or a go to their dog bed command, right? A place spot, station train, whatever you want to call it. Tell your dog to go to a spot. We just actually did the spot. Um, that was recently. Let me see if I can find that real quick on where that was. Uh, give me two seconds. Give me two seconds. <laughs> All right. Maybe I'm not going to find it easily here. But the point is your dog needs to know how to work a spot and they need to know it well. The spot command is such a great tool for so many different things. Um, but especially the front door, it really helps give them a reference point and can help calm down that overexcited behavior. So very first thing, John, is you've got to get a spot command going and you need to get a dog bed near the front door and start working that spot. Then we're going to work it up to hitting the doorbell and keeping your dog in that spot. Side note I didn't mention, make sure you're leashing up your dog to do all this because if your dog does try to go into the spins, you're going to stop them with the leash. Small correction, redirection, and not let them do it. That's the key to this. Not letting your dog practice the behavior. Then we have to condition a new behavior, a new response, such as sitting calmly on the bed. Then we can reintroduce people to coming in the door. But you've, you've got a little bit of a road ahead of you, John. I'm not going to lie, because this is overexcited, overexcited behavior, and it's clearly been strengthened and patterned. So we've got to undo that. Start slowly. Start with a spot. Go check out some of my other episodes on the front door uh, and work it from there. Take your time. This could take a little time. Don't be discouraged if this doesn't happen overnight. Um, but again, work the front door, work the spot, and you should see some improvement there. Next question. Uh, this comes from Claire from Raleigh, North Carolina. Claire says, my dog likes to bark at people that walk by my house. I live alone, so I do want him to bark at unknown noises outside, but he's getting a little full of himself. He's barking all the time while he looks out the window. How can I get him to bark when I need him to, but not other times? Claire, that's a phenomenal question because that's a tough, you know, it, it's, it's tough and yet it's not. Like, here's the thing. It's tough because I know a lot of people are on the edge of like, do I, don't I? Do I correct them? Do I not correct them? And that's the tough part is people try to make it more complicated than it needs to be. Look, here's the thing. 
Dogs are very instinctual in the sense that they will be protective over their pack and their home if there is truly a danger. You know what I'm saying? If something out of the ordinary happens, like God forbid, right? It's 2 a.m. and someone's breaking into your house. No one comes into the house at 2 a.m. And your dog's understanding of the world, that's not a normal thing. Even the other night, I was really late getting home on a Monday. Totally not normal. I got in at like 12, 31 o'clock in the morning. And I mean, my dogs, when I opened that door, came barreling down, barking very different from a normal bark, right? Because it's out of the ordinary, they were being more protective. So the point is, if you have a quality relationship with your dog, if you have a balanced relationship with your dog, if your dog knows that you are the leader, then trust me, your dog will bark and get protective when they need to be, and they won't when they don't need to be. So my suggestion to you is when your dog does bark out the window randomly, just look at it, tell him to stop. Tell him to stop. Redirect it, correct it, tell him to stop. Once he does stop, you say, good boy. I don't discourage barking at the front door right now. The different scenario, someone comes and rings the doorbell. I'm not going to tell my dogs to stop barking right away. Once I get over to the door, that's when I want them to stop barking. Again, it's instinctual for them to be protective. I don't want to completely shut that down and cut that off. I want them to be dogs and be protective over my home. I would feel bad for a person coming in my house. <laughs> you don't know how many dogs you're walking. Like, There's no telling. There could be four. There could be ten. Uh, good luck to you. <laughs> and I have a good relationship with my dog. So I, you know. Anyway, um, I kind of hope that answers your question there, Claire. I know it's a little like, but the reality is, if it's not a reason to worry, if there's no reason to worry, you need to tell your dog, hey, no reason to worry. Help them distinguish. Because the problem is when dogs tend to overdo it, they tend to overdo it. And then they start barking at anybody and everybody. You have to be the one to tell him when it's appropriate, when it's not. That's your job. If I hear a noise outside at night and my dogs start barking, I tell middle of the night, I go, good boy, good boy. I encourage that. Strange noise, weird time, uh, coming in a diff you know, different door. Those are the things I'm going to say, hey, yeah, good job protecting me. But in an everyday average situation, Joe Schmo's walking his dog out front, you need to redirect and correct that behavior. Trust me, taking that down a notch will not take down uh, in, a, in, a, in a moment where you need, where you need your dog's protection. It's not going to get rid of that as long as you have a good relationship with your dog, right? So hope that helps you out, Claire. Good luck out there. And, and uh, hey, I hope your dog stops barking so much. <laughs> That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast and join me there every Tuesday for Training Tip Tuesdays. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at speakadogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If you love the show, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor. Scroll on down and give me that five-star rating. I would really appreciate it, guys. I want to thank my patrons, my pups, supporter Regula Wright and my dog friend Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. <laughs>